You're listening to the Paint a Goddess podcast with Jennifer Hershu. This is episode number 87. Hello, witches. How are you today? My name is Jennifer, and I'm the founder of Painted Goddess and the host of this beautiful podcast. Painted Goddess is a container for healing and magic. I'm very excited to be with you today. I kind of did not post last week. I do have a little bonus episode, though. Basically, me uh, touring my books, and that will be out probably later this week as you listen to this um we are in full moon week it is the full moon of leo which finally (laughs) kind of rounds out um this last larger cycle the full moon in leo often is the first full moon of the year sometimes The full moon in Cancer is the first full moon of the year, as it was uh, last year in 2020, and it will be again next year. Um, This year, we actually do not have a full moon in Cancer. Uh, We had one just before the new year um, of the Gregorian calendar um, on the 29th of December of 2020. And so this new cycle that we're in there's just some kind of weird not weird there's echoes for me and I noticed this as I started to do the astrology of Aquarius season which we are now in Um, you may know part of the work that I do is the horoscopes and astrological calendar for the magical earth subscription boxes uh, which is a beautiful little crystal shop based out of Enumclaw Washington and I, um, so I write, I mean, I've written a, over a year now of astrological insights based on the, um, constellations and the planetary aspects at the, you know, and just looking at that. It's been a really interesting year to do that in, of course. Um, and again, it was a little over a year. I started in, in Sagittarius season of 2019 So now kind of looking back, recognizing for me, for me, (laughs) have you guys seen that guy on TikTok? Fucking what? So good. Um, But um, for me, I speak for myself um, because I have a, um, my natal moon is Leo. I have a, my moon sign is Leo. And so I often orient myself or have over the last course of the last five years where I've really developed a a relationship with the moon and befriending my menstrual cycle through that work, um, my womanhood, my womanliness, my goddessness, um, that, that the Leo moon has the significance to me. And so I kind of mark the halves of the year by that moon. Now, 
There's other significance for everyone if you're listening to this and don't have your moon in Leo, um, because to me, Leo is the fullest expression of the fire signs. It's a fixed fire sign. It is the middle of summer in the northern hemisphere. Leo season is the is the middle of summer, right? And the new moon in Leo is um, either at the end of July or the beginning of August, depending on the degree in which the moon is conjunct the sun during that uh, time. And it's also, I think, important to note that the American, the the visible from America, I'm not going to call it the American, um, the, the, the summer uh, solstice eclipse that we had was in the Leo sign um, in 2018 or was it 2017, you guys? Now I don't remember. Um, I was there. I went to the belt of uh, where we could see it, where there was a total eclipse. I saw the complete eclipse of the sun. And so that was in the sign of Leo. And during that time, the lunar nodes, of course, were in Leo because that's what creates eclipses is these conjunctions of the sun and moon or, or oppositions of sun and moon happening during um, or uh, during those seasons of um and during that that lunar node timing right the lunar nodes shift every 18 months or so into a new polarity uh axis and at that time it must have been 2017 because that lunar node axis actually brought in the trump administration and um trump actually has a lot of leo in his chart, he has also um, was born, uh, you know, uh, during um, his lunar nodes are connected. He was he was born on an eclipse, actually, during Gemini Sagittarius lunar nodes. So it's just there's he was probably conceived. <laughs> Whoa. OK, um, now I'm going to go down a different rabbit hole. And if you followed that, welcome to my brain. I'm glad I have a Gemini rising and sometimes I don't finish sentences. So again, welcome. Um, so, but this echo of these Leo moons for me are, have, had become increasingly significant. There was a, uh, Leo new moon, or I mean, sorry, Leo full moon eclipse, um, on January 11th. Was it January 11th, 2018, which marked, it was actually on my natal moon. And that was a huge day for me. It was um, a time where I had recognized and had been um, recognized in my work as kind of the senior level person. And I received compensation for basically putting up with years of being hard at work for a small business, which, you know, small business wages, all hands on deck mentality, right? They say now it's like if they say that someone at your business says your family, then there's probably some kind of toxic relationship in that business. 
not, you know, I, I, I benefited greatly from working, um, with the people that I did. However, um, it blissfully ended in me gaining quite a bit of financial, um, uh, windfall. And that was, that marked that time, that Leo full moon eclipse, um, for me in January of 2018. And so, there, that was that eclipse cycle. It was very intense. And so I think that really, um, got me focused in on, well, what do the Leo moon cycles look like? Okay. Leo moon cycles are, they happen every six months where there's either a full moon or a new moon in Leo. Generally, um, a couple years ago, we actually had two new moons in Leo, which happens occasionally. We're going to have um, two full moons in Aquarius this year, um, one at zero degrees Aquarius and one at 29 degrees Aquarius. That's going to happen um, somewhat soon. We're going to have two, two new moons. We'll have a double new moon in Aquarius, just kind of emphasizing the fact that Aquarius energy has fully, fully taken over um, the, the constructs of our reality, right? Um, but but this Leo season cycle, just like any lunar cycle, if you look at your natal moon and want to say, well, what time of year is it new and what time of year is it full? And you'll, of course, see that they're on a polarity axis. There's a new moon that happens at one time of year and you'll look across the way it's going to happen at the other end of that year. If you're looking at the wheel of the year as a witch, very helpful reference. If you're new to witchcraft, you, in my opinion, you must not do whatever the fuck you don't want to do, right? That's number one as a witch, actually. Um, number two as a witch, from my perspective, is that the Wheel of the Year is an incredible resource for understanding the way that we can look at and uh, commune with nature, the natural seasons, the plants that grow beneath our feet and in our um, gardens and then nourish our bellies and our minds and our hearts and all of that, you know, it's now, now you get to, you get to see me become the hippy dippy, but I fucking love the way that the wheel of the year has changed my heart and my soul and given me an anchor in which to communicate with different seasons of my life because what is external is internal, right? So without, as, as without it is within, right? Um, as above, so below, as within, so without, those adages of and, and mottos of um, uh, witchcraft are, I think, very, very wise. And so when we notice nature happening, we notice, oh, I have that too, me too, right? Just when, like when we notice the moon cycles, we say, oh, me too, right? I'm full one day, I start to diminish I kind of die a little bit and then I'm reborn. And if we start to actually embrace this cycle, we have, uh, you know, the increasing uh, friendship and relationship with impermanence and the way that life really happens. And we stop resisting pushing against natural, uh, natural seasons of life. And then we get to celebrate everything that happens, even death and, and transition and that doesn't mean the sadness goes away. It doesn't mean that everything is fixed and makes sense. But it does mean that we have a way to orient and anchor ourselves in the magic of what life really offers us when we pay attention. Okay? It's just 
oh, it's so good. So I hope that you will take that to heart. I hope that the wheel of the year is part of your New Year's revolution that you that you as a witch, um, if it's not something that you have anchored yourself in, that you begin to notice that. And one of the things as an astrologer, especially it's, you know, everything in association, you know, there's a book called the, the, the big book of correspondences or something like that. I've seen it a bunch of times. It's in my, you, my infinity list on my Amazon cart, right? It's one of those books that it's like, Oh, I should have this right. As a reference book, as a tool, um, as, um, you know, that I will eventually put into my beauty and the beast library. Um, and <laughs> so, so I, I really think that something like that, you know, can help you understand how everything is connected. And, um, you know, when we look for things that resonate, this is why the correspondences are fairly deep. They run deep. The correspondences run deep, um, especially in paganism and definitely other spiritual uh, traditions. Um, but for me, uh, it's really ring true that paganism being rooted in those natural wisdoms and correspondences has helped me to understand numerology, astrology, the tarot, everything that I use in my practice, candle correspondences, herbs, um, plants, all the, all the things. So there's that. Now with this Leo full moon coming, it's happening at eight degrees of Leo. Now, eight degrees of Leo is um, a beautiful degree. I often think of the, the number eight when I think of Leo, just because it's during August time. Of course, it's July and August, but eight, eight is the lion's gate. And the lion's gate is this place in the sky, this constellation space when the sun is there on eight, eight, you know, um, and now I, you know, the lion's gate, if you look at that constellation, it may not astrologically be exactly in that place on the eight, eight every year. Of course, we're in a, an infinite universe spiraling through it like a fireball. So I think <laughs> it's interesting. I have a hard time wrapping my face and head around it, but, um, that, that number eight resonates with Leo quite a bit. There's um, the strength card in the tarot, which is the eighth card of the tarot. And so, and that resonates with the Leo, the heart chakra and the, um, the sun being the Leo ruler. So like notice, notice that, the full moon in Leo happens in the dead of winter, in the middle of winter, during Aquarius season, every single year. Every single year, it is the full moon of Aquarius season. <laughs> and um, in the Southern Hemisphere, of course, they're in the middle of summer. So, right, there's this always a polarity. We were talking about all some of these things. Um, many of them, uh, you know, that's been, it's just been on my mind because every time the moon comes back to Leo for the new and full moon each time during those two, two polars of the year, the two poles of that time, it just kind of anchors me back in, oh yes, you know, because the new moon in Leo happens around the middle of summer and the full moon in Leo happens around the middle of winter and the middle of winter is also in bulk. And in 
in Wicca tradition, which I don't, can't really speak to very much because of the fact that I'm not Wiccan, um, the Wheel of the Year has a lot of very rich tradition and you can kind of take it in an eclectic way, however you like. For me, in bulk, well, in bulk actually means, you know, it's the milking time. It's the time when the lambs were first born. And they would, you know, the fat sacrificial lamb comes from this time of year. It's the first time after a long winter that usually the sheep would give birth. So there would be milk. Okay. And then there would also be um, maybe um, meat again. Right. So before the winter, they would they would, you know, kind of preserve everything. You bring the animals inside and you keep those animals alive because and you make sure and that's when they're pregnant. Right. And then during that um, first in bulk time of year, that's when the first use, you know, she baby sheep were born. And so this is a, a sacred kind of time. And they um, there's an equation of this time of year with a few things. Okay, and Imbolc has been, it's so rich and steeped with tradition. When I come back from my little break, we're going to talk about Imbolc from the perspective of the Celtic tradition um, and the goddesses associated with Imbolc in that tradition that I really resonate with. And we're also going to talk a little bit more about the astrologic time of in bulk and how mercury retrograde which we're stepping into just before in bulk uh is all kind of in cahoots year after year after year all right we'll see you on the other side hello welcome back so i wanted to take a break and just look at a few of the dates that Mercury retrogrades have happened in the spring slash midwinter over the last few years to see what the patterns are, have been, what have you. I've had this feeling that we've been moving these retrogrades backwards towards the bulk, And this is true. So in 2018, then I just took some notes. In 2018, Mercury retrograded from March into April, and they were in fire signs. So essentially, the retrogrades shift. They usually go in triptychs of those elemental signs. So in 2018, Mercury retrograded in fire signs. Okay. In uh, 2019 and 2020, uh, the retrogrades were primarily in air signs, although it kicked back um, I'm sorry, primarily in water signs, although in 2019 it kicked back into air signs a little bit. Now we are fully in integrated. We're fully uh, integrated. Uh, we're fully going into um, three retrogrades in air signs for 2021. And in 2022, they're going to be in air signs moving back into earth signs and um, even more so with the retrograde in the fall of 2022, which moves from Libra um, quite, quite a bit into Virgo. Um, each of them actually moves into, so the Aquarius one in January in 2022 will move back into Capricorn 
and the May retrograde in 2022 will go from Gemini back into Taurus and the September Mercury retrograde in 2022 will move from Libra back into Virgo and then I assume I hadn't didn't look this far but I don't need to because this is the pattern basically in 2023 we will have Mercury retrogrades in earth signs okay so this is how this is working. If you can kind of picture that wheel, that astrological wheel in your head, um, or even if you have something to look at, you can see that these Mercury retrogrades happen during basically when the sun is in the, that sign. And because Mercury travels pretty much with the sun, okay, it gets ahead of the sun, it falls behind the sun after retrogression, and then goes back or after retrograde cycles, and then, you know, kind of speeds up and passes the sun again. So it's like, you know, playing this, um, back and forth, um, and Venus, um, will kind of be in the mix there, which is why some years there's conjunctions to Venus more with Mercury than others because of their, the way that they, you know, kind of move and travel with the sun. Mars is similar, um, although it's slower than both of them. Um, and of course Venus, Venus moves a little slower than, than Mercury. So when it retrogrades, it gets really behind, Right now, Venus and Mercury and Mars are, are kind of traveling together. Mars is ahead because um, it moved way further um, or, or had retrograded so for so long during 2020 in Aries. Everything kind of moved, um, is, is catching up with it, basically. So at some point, Mars retrograded in another sign that, that pulled it really behind and it was finally making it around, if that makes sense. Um, so the, the planets are all having their own journey, right? It's like the bachelor. <laughs> They're all on their own journey. That's not like the bachelor. Um, it could be, that would be really fun. Um, okay. So, but, but here's, you know, here's the reality is that there's these seasons of Mercury retrogrades that play into elemental wisdom and Mercury itself being a, the planetary ruler of two signs, one being Gemini, which is an air sign, a mutable air sign, and the second being Virgo, the mutable earth sign. One thing that unites it is this mutable energy, and Mercury is nothing but flexible, mutable, agile, transitioning energy. It wants to move quickly. It wants to integrate. It wants to have quick-witted response. It wants to deeply think and contemplate as well. It wants to <clears throat> do all the mental gymnastics in order to create synthesis between ideas. So it wants to have all the thoughts. It wants to collect all the thoughts, messages, feelings from every planetary body and every sign and archetype and, and really just wrap it in its web. It's literally making rounds around everything as I see it in my mind. So when we look at the patterns that have been emerging as of late alongside, um, you know, Pluto and Saturn and Jupiter having moved through Capricorn and finally moving into Aquarius. The fact that we're starting this year in 2021 with a solid Mercury retrograde in Aquarius and it's happening over the degree where in bulk happens, okay, which is 15 degrees of Aquarius, in bulk as a pagan holiday is celebrated astrologically at 15 degrees Aquarius. Now, that's not actually the day that in bulk is like observed from 
a pagan perspective and here's something so and you may notice I noticed this the first time I noticed this actually was from Amy Cesari's um, book of shadows planner um, that that you can that you can uh, purchase it's a coloring book planner it's so great if you're new to astrology and new to um, the the wheel of the year she provides pages to reflect on the wheel of the year and it's really a very beautiful planner um, it's one of the things that I miss when I use my magic of eye planner it's very few things that I actually miss when I use that planner but it's one thing that I do miss which are the calendar pages that have colorings and intentions and spells and rituals for um, the wheel of the year so anyways more on that later because you know I'm eventually making a fucking planner um but oh did that was that a spoiler alert I mean it'll be years um anyways the this year the astrological day of in bulk is um, February 4th so February 4th the Sun is at 15 degrees of Aquarius now how do we know that it's um, it's the actual astrological date in bulk is midway between the two um, equinoxes okay there are two crosses in the wheel of the year which make the eight Sabbaths the first cross are the lines, the poles, that are the solstices and the equinoxes. Okay, now, the midpoint between the two solstices are the equinoxes. And then when you split um, it the other way, <clears throat> between the two equinoxes are the solstices. I think I just misspoke. So, but then we're looking at halfway between the solstice and the equinox and the solstices and the equinoxes happen at the cardinal points of the year which are zero degrees of the cardinal signs now that's a lot of fucking jargon but it's suffice to say that the winter solstice happens at zero degrees of capricorn which is the first day of winter zero degrees of capricorn capricorn is the cardinal earth sign it's a cardinal point okay it is a powerful time to do root work it is a powerful time to begin to manifest solid material abundance because it is that cardinal earth energy and it is also the winter solstice by astrological points now normally the solstices are actually observed on that zero degree day but there is something called the progression of the solstices and equinoxes and we will eventually get off of that slowly but surely because we have a wobble in our earth um now for the cross quarter holidays okay those are the qu quarter sabbaths the solstices and the equinoxes for the cross quarter holidays these are fire festivals and the fire festivals happen between the quarters right in the middle now that happens to be um, the middle point ends up being 
15 degrees of the fixed signs. 15 degrees of the fixed signs is exactly between the summer solstice and the and the spring equinox is 15 degrees of Leo, the fixed fire sign. Halfway between the winter solstice, I'm sorry, halfway between uh, the spring equinox and the winter solstice is 15 degrees of Scorpio, which is Samhain, the fixed water sign. Scorpio is the fixed water sign. Halfway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox is 15 degrees of the fixed air sign, Aquarius, which is in bulk. And then halfway between the spring equinox and the summer solstice is 15 degrees of Taurus, the fixed earth sign, which is Beltane. So zero degrees of the cardinal signs are the solstices and the equinoxes. And that is Aries for Ostara or spring equinox. That is uh, zero degrees of Cancer for the summer solstice, the cardinal water sign, zero degrees of Libra, for the spring or the autumn equinox and zero degrees of Capricorn for the winter solstice. Now I did that from my head and I had to go kind of slowly. If you look at the wheel of the year, this makes a lot of sense. You can just follow it along and astrologically it helps you to understand these are patterns of uh, modality and element. So we are looking, of course, then what are the voids? I just recently was introduced to a book called Astrological Voids, which are like the empty houses. And we've been talking about the empty houses in the astrologic lab, or we did. We always talk about this because people are worried about their empty houses, right? Because in, um, um, <laughs> in our culture of consumerism, we're like, something's empty, let's fill it up. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we are... We are um, We've been talking about that and someone, um, one of my lovely friends who I know listens to this, she brought up this book, Astrological Voids. So very exciting. But an astrological void in that wheel of the year, of course, is the mutable signs. So what happens during those mutable signs, right? The mutable signs are the transition time. It's bringing one season to the next. So those are the mutable points. So that is a really full spectrum of the wheel of the year. Now, when we look at, again, what are Mercury retrogrades trying to teach us? There, It's in the context of so many things. I put out a Mercury retro upgrade workbook every year. It's now available on my website for immediate download for the Aquarius season. You can purchase either the workbook just for this season for 22 bucks, or you can go ahead and purchase all three, commit to all three, and get it for 33. So all of a sudden, you know, the price goes into half for each of the workbooks. I produce them around the time that retrograde goes into pre-shadow and begin, you know, I wait until I feel that energy and start to really feel into that time of year 
before I create the work. Um, essentially, though, it'll show you, teach you how to find and place the Mercury retrograde cycle into your natal chart, and then it will give you some prompts to do contemplation work. Of course, Mercury is all about your thoughts. It's all about your mind, your mental work, the, the managing of your mind and contemplation of ideas and what have you based on where in the housing structure of your natal chart it's happening it will prompt you to do certain types of reflection ask questions what have you so um that's essentially what that workbook is it helps you to focus that mercury retrograde work so that you have kind of a project to do while mercury is retrograding it asks you to really dig in and do contemplative work that's what in my opinion retrogrades are for is contemplative work where that is happening in your chart um, and so in the midst of mercury retrogrades on a larger scale from like a from a top level like from a 99 foot view or whatever a 9,000 foot view from a cosmic view we're looking at holistically everyone is going through a Mercury retrograde in Aquarius. Now Aquarius has its own mission, it has its own values. It has its own rules of engagement. It has its own truth, right? And truth is especially important when it comes to Aquarius because um, it is the sword of truth. It is the ace of wands. It is the, or I'm sorry, it is the ace of swords. It is the king of swords, right? Air is a masculine sign the tarot often speaks of swords in that realm of being truth, um, ideas, conversations, the way that we think, the way that our mind processes data and information, facts, and comes up with opinions at the other side, right? Fact-based uh, research. All of these things have to do with air qualities. It's also... Air is a little bit elusive. It's easy actually to take for granted. We breathe air very naturally. Our lungs, which are associated primarily with Gemini archetype, um, but of course, because it's part of our, our oxygenation system, our, our respiratory system, it, it does have an affinity with all of the air signs. But, you know, when we breathe, it's very natural unless we are in a contemplative practice where we are breathing on purpose in a certain way or using our breath to calm down our nervous system or using our breath to take a pause, um, you know, or using our breath to regulate the, the way that we sing or inflect our tone. Notice the way that when you whisper, the way that you have to breathe, when you whisper rather than when you project your voice, right? And I can notice that in real time. All of a sudden I'm like, whoosh. What happens when the wind is knocked out of you, right? Aquarius energy and Mercury in Aquarius begs you to look at your personal truth, your inner authority, your inner rebel, right? It's Aquarius is ruled in the modern sense by Uranus, Uranus. That is the rebel of the planets. Uranus, you know, fuck your feelings kind of vibe, right? 
Let's go on facts. Let's go on truth. Now, I will say that during these astrological times, we've got Neptune in Pisces. And Neptune in Pisces is a very dreamlike force right now. Your psychic ability, your ability to connect with other realms and your, and your guides, all of that are very strong. And yet, I think it's very much worth noting that these kinds of spiritual uh, journeys can lead us to delusion of grandeur, 100%, can lead to guruism or having a sense of purpose that is uh, spiritually, uh, what's the, um, un- like entitled or in some way un, um, like reckless almost. And I think we've seen this over time, but for somebody to, and it's, it's almost gaslight energy for someone to say, ignore your own truth and it, and, and take my truth And, you know, like there are two sides of this coin. Okay, there are two sides of this coin. And, and Mercury comes in to Aquarius, which Mercury has been in Aquarius for um, already, like right at the beginning of January moved into Aquarius. So um, it followed Jupiter and Saturn into Aquarius quite quickly. And, you know, and then and then met up with both Saturn and Jupiter, kind of got their messages, and then will now be moving backwards once it hits 26 degrees of Aquarius because it's not ready to leave yet, right? And that's how, that's how I see these retrogrades. It's like, oh, it has to stay a little longer in an archetype, in a sign, in an energy in order to really get the message to us, right? It reiterates the message backwards and then forwards again. It wants us to look real close. And so where are you asking to be contemplative in your life from that Mercury standpoint to really read the messages again, reread the messages, maybe retranslate the deep messages and notice that you can flip the coin and all of a sudden fear and anxiety over someone not telling you the truth might even remind you how little you trust yourself and your own authority. And what does your own authority actually look like? Uh, what recently I watched the hack, the great hack actually on Netflix. It's about, um, Trump and Brexit 2016 and the, um, campaigns by, um, a corporation that runs social media campaigns, essentially uh, targeting certain demographics in order to shift the minds of people who are quote unquote swayable. And it was um, another level. If you didn't watch the social dilemma, that is probably a precursor to this documentary. Although I think they're very similar in a way it's just deepening your understanding through 
an actual like two actual case studies that show what's been going on and how we've been, you know, manipulated through our own confirmation bias. The way our brains work is to eliminate extra data so that it's not, you know, um, working so hard, right? Our brain actually needs a lot of fuel in order to work properly and uh, sleep and all the things, right? It needs all this different stuff. And so it tries to minimize its, its efforts by automation, right? This is what our, our brain is an algorithm creating machine, it tries to make uh, habits out of things. It's why habits are so hard to break, right? And so our brains are doing this constantly. So what has been used against us is this confirmation bias that we have. And we've been fed certain pieces of reality. Now, this has always happened. I mean, I took social media through the name of media literacy in college. And um, I was like, why don't we have this in elementary school? Like media literacy should be um, absolutely par for the course except, of course, it's public school and we all know the conspiracy like thoughts around, well, you know, public schools are created so that you learn a bell system, you learn to be on time, you learn to respect authority, get in line, you know, kind of be spoon fed certain information and that's it, right? Um, clearly that needs to change and I think that is changing and um, will change more and more as we put um, people in, in places of power who are able to uh, uh, revolutionize and radicalize um, the public school system. But that's a whole nother podcast, even not even just episode. So but that was my, you know, my thesis and my undergrad study at the Evergreen State College was uh, public school administration and systems of curriculum development and how media literacy is absolutely absent from it. And it's pretty simple, you know. Anyways, I digress. But what we're looking at is this era in which, and the great hack explains this, where are we even able to have, quote, free and fair elections ever again? Because there are so many machines able to manipulate our thoughts and, our, and use our preferences for being comfortable in our own opinions against us. And slowly grooming us towards basically fascism, which is terrifying for me, who is someone who, you know, above all else, I believe not just in the good of people at the core of humanity, because we're part of nature, by the way, it's not because we're human, it's because we're part of nature. But as we extract ourselves more and more from that natural sense of life, death, rebirth, what have you, um, I think there's this different something emerging. And it's not to say that I don't love AI and don't love robotics and don't love automation. I think we're creating an external brain that will then um, automate certain things that cause harm to people, right? Repetitious work that is dangerous and or, um, you know, harmful to our creative process is demeaning, right? But if you told me that I, if I lived in a community where I worked two hours at the local grocery store and got to bag groceries and or load shelves and or um, help out customers and or 
um, you know, I would happily do two hours in a service job. Now, I know that's not everybody. Not everybody wants to go and like see people. But for me, for me, um, I am very much toward, I love to interact with people. And I love to meet them where they're at and hopefully make their day a bright place, right? Like make a, a spot of their day, like notice who they are, you know, notice their name on their on their cards. Notice, um, you know, the the lack of smile or the smile in their eyes or their, you know, notice them and, and, and pour on some love. I love, that was one of my favorite things about being in the service industry when I was younger. But you can't make a full-time job out of that and live, unfortunately. Um, even though now we're seeing, obviously, that those roles of people are essential. We need smart people in those jobs to, to make good decisions and, and keep the pipeline and distribution of food and, and goods going, right? Whatever, what have you. Wow. Suffice to say, I have a very uh, hopeful gaze towards the future of the contemplative practice of looking at and critiquing societal norms based on these Aquarian rules of engagement where inner authority and sovereignty allow you to rebel against the status quo without being demonized and creating more contemplative and critiquing social interaction with others and somehow disengaging our nervous system from the fight or flight is part of that and i think germ uh, the gemini mercury retrograde this year if you choose to do so could be a way in or a way to deepen that work if you're here for it anyways did any of that all of that make sense did that make your skin go bumply for me, like, I think these are exceptional times. And when you start to look at the astrological weather and noticing, you know, there are going to be like seven planets in Aquarius during this retrograde. It's like we are absolutely in this time. And, and yes, this happens in waves, right? But because we haven't had Saturn traveling so close to Jupiter in, in a very long time in Aquarius, right? We haven't had um, uh, Mercury and Venus in Aquarius at the same time, right? Which Ven uh, uh, P Pisces is about to actually move into Pisces. It'll move into Pisces on the 1st of February um, as we observe in bulk. Um, and, and because in bulk is observed um, on the 1st generally or the 2nd, of February and the astrological date of Imbolc is the fourth. I have now declared this whole week a celebration of Imbolc for me. Um, I'm going to be building altars and creating a lot of love around that. So I feel like I went, went off on an incredible tangent and I want to leave you with a couple of things that I thought were really lovely when I learned them about Imbolc. And one of the pieces of our history from a mythology standpoint that was borrowed from Celtic folklore and mythology 
around the triple goddess. So we all know, I think, many of us who are uh, pagan or, or um, practice witchcraft and, and observe the Wheel of the Year, or even if you're new, you probably heard of St. Bridget, of the goddess Bridget. And so I want to tell you her story. So this is one of my favorite pieces of old school like uh, mythology from my ancestors. I am of Irish descent and in Gaelic mythology, Irish, Scottish, um, it's Celtic, um, the Kaliak. Um, it's the hag it's the divine hag it's the the winter um goddess and we often celebrate in bulk by pulling um bridget into our altars and celebrating bridget but what i learned last year as i was researching in bulk was that bridget is not just in her mother form as Bridget, but that she has this triple goddess part to her. And the Kaliak is the crone version of her. So the triple goddess is throughout um, mythology and especially feminine divine mythology. When you look into goddess, goddess mythology, you'll find the triple goddess, the maiden mother crone, and it's a very, um, I mean, there's problems with maiden and the definitions associated and mother and definitions associated and crone and def definitions associated. Notice that patriarchal society demonizes and victimizes and makes invisible each aspect of this divine femininity expression, what have you. When I started to look into this time of year and in bulk, you know, of course, um, Groundhog's Day, which is February 2nd, is the closest thing that American holidays have to that midwinter time, that in bulk time. And so what is the, where did this come from? I thought it was very interesting that we would talk about a groundhog and like seeing its shadow, like, how does how does it translate that when um <laughs> when you see a shadow that means that it's more winter right so one of the things that i learned was the story of bridget and the kaliak and Kaliak and Bridget's myths remind us of that the Celts actually divided the year into two halves, even though we recognize four distinct seasons. And they generally divided that year into two, into the dark half and the light half. And so, and this is seen where we see that polarity of the summer solstice and the winter solstice. My cat is like scratching feverishly on her um, scratching board. So that's that noise in the background. But, um, 
So although the triple goddesses are prevalent in Celtic myths, dual aspects of the same goddess and their changing faces, mirroring the changing of the seasons, it's the way that the Celts kind of viewed these seasonal cycles. So at times these dual goddesses appear as crone and maiden, and other times they are sisters. Um, we see this in Ayn uh, and Grian, two Irish sister goddesses who each ruled half of the year. So whether we see the goddess as maiden, mother, or crone, or as the winter crone and the spring maiden, these two aspects of the goddess are intrinsically linked. And the darkness of the crone will always give way to the rebirth and new beginning of the maiden form of this goddess, right? And we, you know, we look at these goddesses and they, you know, they, they seem to be like their own entity, but really it's this eh, same mirror image of the goddess. So while Kaliak, uh, the winter hag, is churning the clouds above and dumping snow on the driveways, uh, we know that soon she will transform into Bridget, the lovely maiden of spring, right? So in each in bulk, we stand at that precipice, that in-between time of transformation. And just like in bulk represents those, that just that tiny stirring of time, right? That seed starting to germinate it's that germination time um beginning it's that little piece of transformation between times it's between time and just as Kaliak transforms into bridget so too we can do this and be inspired by their myths to transform ourselves and lead the, leave the old and no longer useful behind us um and one of the one of the um, stories is that Imbolc was believed to be when the Kaliak, the divine hag of Gaelic tradition, gathers her firewood for the rest of winter, right? So the legend has it that if she wishes to make the winter last a good while longer, she will make sure that the weather on Imbolc is bright and sunny so she can gather plenty of firewood. Therefore, people would be uh, relieved if Imbolc is a day of foul weather, right? Like if it was shitty and rainy um, or the groundhog didn't see its shadow, then there would be more winter because the people would um, see that as meaning that the Kaliak is asleep and winter is almost over. So instead of getting more firewood so that she can sleep for longer, then she's still sleeping and then she'll soon awaken. Um, and so this is like a whole um, way that the groundhog had, you know, kind of been transformed into that Kaliak energy of seeing its shadow in the sun that day. So if it was a nice day, that means that that's because Kaliak was getting her firewood so that she could be more comfy Um Again, one of the other pieces is that the Kaliak is also seen as the crone goddess said to have imprisoned Bridget for the winter. This to me sounds a lot like, um, you know, the, the role of Persephone and Demeter and, and Demeter going to get, take Persephone down to Hades for half the year. So there's, and that's that Roman Greek um, aspect of these goddesses to some degree, perhaps, um, but Bridget is said to have been born of fire, right? And that she carries the igniting power of fire in her soul. She's also the goddess of forging. Like she's a blacksmith. She, she forges um, things from the fire. And um, she was born with a fire crown. And 
during Imbolc in um, Celtic uh, communities, there are still big celebrations, or at least pre-COVID had been big celebrations of of having um, someone dress as Bridget with a fire crown. Um, so it's interesting, you know, like in paganism, there's like words to refer to Bridget as being comfortable and ease and support and grace. And while this is true, because all goddesses are very dynamic, um, she is a healing midwife, you know, right? She's a healing midwife. She's a midwife of the new spring, right? But don't forget that she is also the blacksmith. So we can, if you choose to make pledges to Bridget at Imbolc, these are forged into springtime. So this is a ceremony and process that should be taken very seriously. Promises made in sacred space with Bridget are very binding. And she may help that pledge come true to fruition with the help from her healing waters and from the whack of her hammer and an eternal flame kept burning um, by the way, by the Brigantine sisters in Kildare, Ireland. She is St. Bridget. She's one of the only that I know of goddesses who still kind of has a cult, right? That cult following. Uh, the, the nuns, you know, were so uh, dedicated to her and her mythology and her devotion, devoted to her, that um, she, she's, you know, she's been, she's had her flame the flame of Bridget kept alive in um, Ireland since antiquity. And there was a time when it was illegal to do so, but the nuns were still doing it and they were still going and lighting her candle. And eventually the Catholics just named her St. Bridget so that it would be incorporated into uh, the Christian Catholic theology. So um, yeah, which I love that. Um so that face of the Kaliak, though, as the hag being actually Bridget, I think is really interesting. And um, she is one of the most ancient goddesses of the Celts, and she may even be pre-Celtic as a goddess. Um, so there's it's just a really interesting way to continue to look at goddess myths and understand why maybe the the winter hag or the the crone has been demonized in a way um, you know, certainly winter lasting too long is really hard on crops and on people who are um, dependent on the land and on the sun for their growing cycles. Um, and so this is, you know, um, it's just interesting. There's another part that I wrote down. Um, she is associated with a mountain in Ireland called the Sleeve, uh, the Sleeve, I know I'm not saying it right because it's Gaelic. Um, Sleve Nikalag. I know that's wrong. Um, it's made up of jagged rocks, uh, which may be why she was sometimes said to have very sharp teeth. And, um, you know, it's interesting to, to consider, you know, closing your eyes and going to find your breath and journey to Bridget and the Kaliak, um, in order to forge a new intention, this Imbolc. Um, after all, Imbolc is a festival of the hearth and the home and a celebration of the lightning days, the lengthening days, and early signs of spring. So by noticing the small um, uh, bulbs starting to, to come through the ground and, and some of the first 
um, leaves of spring um, coming and the buds on the trees, um, the budding time, and just knowing that this time of year is very special. Um, celebrations often involve hearth fires again. Those cross-quarter holidays are always fire festivals, so special foods and, um, you know, fire-made um, bread, uh, fire um, flame, you know, forged foods, um, as well as divination or watching for omens were always a big deal, and candles are a bonfire if the weather permitted. So you can, you know, um, you can do some kind of fire ritual and um, work with Bridget and ask for her to forge in, in this time, a new way forward. But, you know, remember, these are forged within, within her calling, right? It's a big deal. So I love, I love fire as um, a purifier, as a transformative quality. Um, one of that important pieces of um, fire element and the wands in tarot is that it's transformative, right? It, fire can turn um, solid matter to ash and then ash uh, becomes, you know, that next um, nourishing piece of, of the fertile soil that grows. Um, that the sun then helps to pull out of the, the land, right? There's, you know, the fire being that representation of warmth and increasing power that the sun has over these coming months. Um, and of course, spring cleaning also comes from um, this time of year. So I'm looking forward to sweeping my altar space and creating new intentions for the year. Um, it's another, you know, it is a cross from Samhain. You know, Samhain is... Um, the polarity of Imbolc, a Samhain uh, being, oh, I'm sorry, that's not true. Um, Samhain is the, <laughs> is the polarity. I, I do think of that as, uh, you know, how do we, how do we connect these? Um, but Samhain is actually a cross from Beltane, which are, is the other cross quarter and, the um, another fire festival. Um, so, uh, Imbolc is actually across from Lamas or Lunasa, which is the, the first harvest time. And so again, we're looking at that sixth month time where, you know, the two Leo moons, the new moon happening in at Lunasa time and the full, the full Leo moon happening around Imbolc and that, that polarity of the year being when the the germination the first stirrings of spring are are happening and lamas or lunasa when the um the last the second harvest or the first harvest rather is really happening you have you know you have that time where um that's six, six months between you know is the is the bright part of the year really Right. Because while Letha, which is summer solstice and Yule, which is winter solstice, are the shortest and longest days of the year, Imbolc and Lunasa really are those pivotal moments where the light increasing at Imbolc starts to really speed up and the light decreasing at Lunasa really seems to start speeding up. Right. And so while that Yule and 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 
that summer solstice, winter solstice, Yule and Letha polarity is, you know, that profound height and uh, low of the year, you know, the shortest day and the longest day. These two holidays on this polarity, the Imbolc and Lunasa, which are February, August, really are the times when it's like, it's that transitory time. It's that pivotal, again, that time when the fixed energy kind of gives way, right? That fixed energy between, you know, and it's that Aquarius Leo polarity, 15 degrees, 15 degrees, those fixed signs, the fixed fire and the fixed air. Again, masculine signs represent productivity, right? So this it begins that productive time of the year. And Lunasis starts to end that productive time of the year. Right? It's really kind of interesting the way that that polarity, that cross-quarter holiday happens in that masculine charge too. And then Beltane and Samhain, that, those other cross, the, the other cross-quarter holidays are in um, water and earth signs, feminine signs, and they're nourishing that part of the season. And notice at Beltane, it's the middle of Taurus season, which is the abundance of the flowers. Everything's growing, growing, growing. It's enduring the, you know, it's really, really, um, kicking. Right. And sometimes it's not so much in, in May of the Pacific Northwest, but it, you know, after that, there's really this tip towards the, the brightest part of the year. So it's just a lovely way to orient yourself, I think. And I want to send you blessings for in bulk. I want to send you well wishes and hope that you connect with this time of year in a deep and meaningful way, however that feels for you. And I'll talk to you next week. Happy full moon. Happy in bulk. I love you. If you are interested in joining us for conversations every week, uh, myself and the dear witch sister of mine, um, and maybe, and yours too, some of you, um, know her, uh, Marilyn High, High Priestess, um, of the Pacific Northwest. Her and I go live every Tuesday on Instagram. You're welcome to join us. We pull tarot cards, um, for those of you who are live and talk about witchy shit. And I hope that you will join us if you are interested in working with me on a deeper level. I just sent out my spring, spring wishing, my middle winter newsletter where I invite you to work with the Mercury retrograde of this season through the workbook download that is available now at paintedgoddess.com. And if you are interested in going even deeper, you can join the lab, which is a monthly subscription program where we learn um, how to unpack your natal chart month by month, uh, planetary ruler and sign by sign, and really dig in. We have live classes about twice a month, along with a monthly group coaching call, which we just had this Monday. It was really great. We talked about empty houses and we talked about... Um, important pieces of astrology, you know, planets and aspects. And we just kind of, you know, uh, nerd out. Um, if that's for you, you should come join us. You'll get the Mercury Retrograde um, workbook, the Mercury Retro Upgrade book free when you join the lab because it's in there along with tons of other stuff, including Mercury Retrograde workbooks for each cycle last year 
and um, Mars retrograde as well. So, um, and planetary workbooks for um, almost a year, as well as archetypal classes and, and all sorts of videos and stuff like that. In fact, it's probably overload at this point, but you can just start where we all begin, which is with the solar harvest mapping um, guided by the wheel of the year and the asp the houses of our chart and the book of houses anyways or if you just want a reading and you're like I just want some guidance for right now I do have my books open for February and if there are any spots left go to paintagoddess.com slash readings or you can just go to paintagoddess.com and click on the readings picture It'll take you to the page where you can see my offerings for this season I have two uh, specialty readings for February. One is a righteous self-love yoni shape reading, has six cards, and it is focused on how to self-love yourself best um, and to heal the heart. It's a reading to heal the heart. And then the other is a sinistry um, in the form of a heart. It's a six card. Is it a six card or eight card spread? Um, in the shape of a heart. And I look at two natal charts, I do a synastry reading and then pull cards for the two of you. So you and a partner, you and a best friend, you and your mom, you and your, you know, anyone who you love, you can, I will read for you and remind you why it is that you chose to be loving life partners or um, acquainted in this life through love, uh, through astrology. I also have um, just a three card natal chart. If you're looking for just a basic reading, um, that is also available right now. Again, once the spots are full for February, they're full and I will um, be opening my books again for March, I'm sure. But those are the ways to work with me. I love you. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon.